Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, Yes Chef listeners. Jordan Smith here, joined by his um, colleague, friend, and some would say cousin. Sidekick. I want to go with sidekick. Sidekick. Yeah, it's me, Ben Smith, and uh, we're here in Clapham. Clapham Common. It's beautiful. Beautiful sunny day. We've got a coffee from uh, a very uh, established. <laughs> established brand that we don't like, but never mind. Uh, the sun is shining, and we're ready to speak to Adam Byatt. Adam Byatt, you might have seen him on Saturday Kitchen, I saw him butchering a pheasant last night which was um, pretty amazing, we're going to go to Trinity Restaurant, I spoke to a friend last night and said I'm going to Trinity and they were like, ooh, I go there when it's my family treat, so I'm excited because I know they're posh a lot, um, it's very very nice round here, it'll clap them old town isn't it? It's beautiful, it's beautiful, uh, you can tell Jordan that doesn't get about very much, he's surprised at every new area we go to. I'm more surprised that I just went into Waitrose, went to get a coffee, and she said you have to buy a suppy cup. Um, I bought a suppy cup for £3 and I got a free coffee, so I'm absolutely buzzing. Um, thank you very much, listeners. Enjoy this absolute cracker. Adam Bayer, Trinity Restaurant. Let's be having you. See you on the flip side. So we're with Adam Bayer. How are you doing, man? I'm really well. Really well, Thank you very much. Yeah. This restaurant is lovely. Thank you. Thank Could you. you talk us through it a bit for people who've never been or that yeah, kind of sure. thing? Um, so you're sat in Upstairs, which is the restaurant, my casual dining restaurant that sits uh, nice and snugly above Trinity, which is my restaurant with the Michelin star that I've had for 12 years. Uh, I have another restaurant on the other side of Clapham Common as well called Bistro Union. And that's my little trio. That's my, um, that's my bit of Clapham. But the three restaurants... They, they all operate in different markets. So obviously Trinity is the fine dining, Michelin, high-end, celebratory, sort of uh, the pinnacle of what we do. And then upstairs is the casual restaurant, small plate, sharing, changes the menu every day, music, atmosphere. It's a different style, um, more of a sort of young professionals going to cinema, groups of ladies meeting up, different thing. And then Bistro Union is um, sort of a really proper neighbourhood family restaurant. Um, so yeah, that's my three restaurants. And why Clapham? Why take um, over Clapham? Uh, <laughs> um, I bought my first flat in in, in the year two thousand um, in Ellsfield, <clears throat> which is not too far from Clapham. And um, I was looking for my first restaurant and uh, came across a re- little restaurant on Clapham Park Road on the other on the on the road towards Brixton. 
And uh, I really liked the area. Actually, what happened was I walked down the street. I thought, I really like that restaurant. Walked down the street and um, there was a butcher's there, absolutely beautiful butcher's, which you would have passed on the way here. We just, comment, we just commented that. I walked in and there was veal brains, there was sweet breads, there was foie gras, truffles, and I thought, hang on a minute, this is my territory. And I thought, you know, if, the, if people are buying this, those kind of ingredients in this area, I don't know Clapham, but this must be all right. And that was literally the reason I opened the restaurant. I, I then went on to sell that restaurant after four years and then came back and started this one in 2006. Have you gone and told the butchers that? He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> I was He's a good, he knows that story. He, he, he lives on that story. Don't I worry. bet he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we walked past, didn't we? And it's like, yeah. I don't know, it just makes you think, whoa. It it's looks a, awesome. It's really old school. It's, a beautiful, really? it's the first yeah, time it's I've proper. been in the village. It's proper. And Gary, is, uh, he's a grafter. He's there every day. It's a gener- family generation business and, and he sells brilliant meat and we buy lots and lots of stuff for him. I also do lots of recipes for the shop as well, for all the stocks I did for him. And uh, we trade as well. Yeah. Oh, right. so nice we really are part yeah. of the neighbourhood uh, yeah we are you know that, that's my florist been my florist for 15 years the fishmongers Moxon's at the end there he's my best friend Robin and uh, we buy a lot of fish from him Yeah, we use the cheese shop on Abbeville Road next to my little cheese shop we all of our charity goes to Trinity Hospice which is just around the corner there Yeah, I work in Bonneville School which oh, is wow. just on the, on the common um, yeah I think I think as a restaurant at this level you have to imagine as well we have three restaurants so we two and a half thousand customers a week that's a lot of people seeing my business on their credit card statement every every month and i think you've got to give back you've got to be seen to doing something that isn't just about taking it is Mm. about giving and i think you know we're not a charity but no we're we're not a community project we are a serious business but but we do like to think we're integrated into the local community and uh, Mm. yeah i like how the starbucks doesn't even look like a starbucks and you're like what (laughs) this is a starbucks that's a clam starbucks Uh. that one Crazy, yeah. devastated. Um, should we go back a bit? I mean, we what, what we start the podcast with is asking you about your first food memory. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to share that with us? Yeah, sure. Um, actually, my my child, I come from a very working class family, but my mum was a chef actually for a few years. So food was food was good at home, home really homemade and lovely. But I can't really recall much of that. The first great food memory that I love to hang on to. Is I did a, I think it was a real pinnacle moment in my life. Actually, I, I had a French exchange at school, so I was shipped off at thirteen to go and spend a week living in France. And I went down to uh, the Loire Valley and stayed with a French family there. I was really young, little Essex boy, knew nothing, didn't even know where France was, never been on a plane. You know, this was the first time out. I was terrified, I have to say. But I, anyway, I arrived in this farmhouse. Um, I'll never forget it. And we, we sat down. I was very bewildered. But it was a beautiful countryside. Um, I remember every detail about the flowers in these porcelain jugs on the side and beautiful wooden uh, table, dining room table with all the bowls of fruit and things. It was in the summertime. I can remember all the doors open. I can remember all the... I come from quite a city area, so all this amount of countryside was quite overwhelming. And that lunch, we had a glass of milk, goat's milk, and uh, which was a total revelation to me. And then the mother put, you know, the mother, the mother was in a penny and the dad was sort of all quite smartly dressed and the two kids that I was doing the exchange with. And the, and the mother put this bowl of artichokes on the table, whole artichokes, you know, where you peel off the outside, you eat, eat the little bit of the heart off the leaf dipped in a vinaigrette, 
and you work your way through that as a family and then you end up with the heart, the globe of the artichoke in the middle and that's the sort of, uh, that's the cream at the end and then you all share that. And this was, can you imagine this guy, you know, this little 13-year-old that had been brought up on spaghetti hoops and all of a sudden he's eaten. It was just, it was an absolute, I just, my eyes were just popping. And I think there's something, and then, and then that week sort of went on and there was obviously baguettes and croissants and jam and all the, all the amazing stuff you'd imagine in rural France and she made her own yoghurt and I think that really was a pinnacle moment for me it really sort of made me think hang on this food thing I quite like this and um and that was my that's the that's the first food memory I like to hang on to so could you speak much French no 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 I was useless at school no I can now speak uh sort of broken fluent French yeah yeah, but because I've worked a little bit in France and done and, and kitchen French, I'm very good. But um, and I love the French language. One of my biggest regrets is that I don't speak totally fluent French. Yeah, mine too. Mine I love too. I love France. So you said um, that you were 13 when you kind of first get in this interest in food. Mm. Yet your your mum was a was a chef. Yeah, but you, you referenced the spaghetti hoops. There's like a staple. A staple meal. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, she was a chef. But even in those days, you know, this is when processed food just hit just hit the market so you know chicken kievs and, and finders crispy pancakes that Easy all food. just Easy ha- food, that yeah. just arrived in the supermarket before that i think that generation perhaps five to ten years before that i don't know exactly but we cook at home you would only have eaten cooked food from scratch but it would have been pretty simple and basic and would have been lamb's tongues and pig's kidney pig's liver and things like that but then this generation all of a sudden processed food arrived so my parents just kind of went mad for it and, you know, just swarmed the shelves. and Supermarkets as well. well, well yeah, when the kind that's of, right. When it was made easy. That's you know, right. Because you yeah. go to the butcher, the fishmonger, yeah. the cheese, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when that came in, yeah. it must have been a bit of a, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to go, we don't have to spend three hours shopping now. No, it's going to spend five minutes. And big fan of the smile of face. But obviously, like I said, as a chef, and for you being a chef and your mum being a chef, if she's on a 12-hour shift, I'm yeah. sure you know the same, there's yeah. that big old thing about coming home having beans on toast. Mm, that's right. If she's on a 12-hour shift, coming back and doing that, mm. does she want to that now do mm. a huge, stew, you know, like three-hour stew after service? Yeah, I think that's service. right. But she, there was also the, things like um, phyllo pastry was available in the supermarket and things like that, but before you'd have had to have made that if you wanted to use that. So all of a sudden we had chicken phyllo pies. and So we had some really beautiful home-cooked food too. And mum was a great cook. And, uh, but I think that processed food thing happened, arrived on everyone's doorstep, and she just sort of embraced it. <laughs> was, um, did your mum kind of not push you into it, but was it always a thing of like, right, mum does that? Like, you know, like when you know, your dad's a footballer, so I'm going to go into football. You know what I mean, that kind of thing. I don't know. I, I, don't, I toy with this quite a lot. I, she was only a chef for a few years. Um, my granddad was a chef in, yeah. the, in the army, actually, but I, I never met him. I, he, he passed away when I was 18 months old. Really, to be honest with you, it was a, I, I, I left school with absolutely nothing, no exams. I left early. I kind of, it just was a complete disaster for me. I wasn't particularly academic. Didn't get on at schooling for one reason or another. It was a pretty torrid time. Um, and it was a case of just going to careers open day and there was an apprenticeship at Claridge's Hotel. That was, I think it, that was, a, it was a, it was a way out. That's great to have Claridge's at the old. Well, it was day. a Savoy. It was a Savoy Trust that had an apprenticeship, so I could have. I could have ended up at the time at the Barclay, the Savoy, Claridge's, 
uh, anywhere really. But but um, but actually, I ended up at Claridge's. So I, th- I think, to be honest, it was a way out, it was an escape. Felt like safe territory. I did well at home economics at school. Only really did that 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 class because um, or that option because there were so many girls in it. So that was the reason. That's obvious. Better reason than anything standard. else. Really. Come on, <laughs> nothing. Uh, <laughs> nothing confusing there and um and, I, and and the apprenticeship came along but i saw that as an escape i thought that's that's my way out of essex that's my that's my route to to getting somewhere so i took it and can you kind of tell the listeners as well like what's it like to get that opportunity were you naive and realize i'm going because most people colleges now you know and berkeley all the things you're mm. talking about huge when were you naive back then? Are you just like, oh, it's a job. Let's go into it. Yeah. Or did you know the prestige of that behind it? I had absolutely no idea. But I, my member, I do remember speaking to my nan and uh, sort of the week before, and I said, oh, I'm doing a, I'm got an apprenticeship trial, nan. You know, I'm, I'm going to this hotel called Claridge's. She said, oh, Adam, that's where the Queen stays. You have to go there. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a real she sort a freebie. of freebie. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was after a freebie. Um, so yeah, that's. The, I mean, I knew nothing about it, no. But um, but I have to say, the first day it was it's quite a nice story. But it was, and it's probably the reason I've sort of ended up doing what I did. But I went that first day was a bank holiday Monday, um, and so a lot of the very very senior team weren't there. So that a lot of the more hardcore, less senior team were there. I, uh, it was the most awful day. I had to get the train from Essex all the way up to Bond Street do my whole day which was probably like 15 hours or something get the train get the tube all the way back again I was only 15 years old I was tiny as well very underdeveloped for one reason or another and and, um, and, and so I came home and I was just destroyed covered in uh, I'd, I'd borrowed the sous chef's jacket and I'd covered it in spinach puree and I was just I was I was absolutely it was hor- horrendous came home laid on the sofa and I just cried and, and said to my dad I can't, I can't do that that's awful that, I hated every minute of that the tube terrified me the, 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 <laughs> the tube everything the terrified me yeah. when you get when the tube. Bank, it's a bank holiday that is a harsh and thing to do I know I know right and there was like 80 chefs in this in the hotel you know these are big grown up guys it's not like kitchens this is old now. school this is like the guys who's going to be yeah, yeah, kicking yeah. you about as well yeah yeah it? yeah proper and uh, I said I can't do that my dad was a window cleaner uh, had a very successful window cleaning round but he's you know, working class and he said it's not a problem Adam you know you have to do what you're you have to be happy doing what you're doing it's not a problem I'll see you at 3.30 tomorrow morning and you can come work for me <laughs> that was it Absolutely. it wasn't Absolutely. a case of plan B it wasn't a, you know oh well that's alright take a gap year or you know let's go and have a little hike around Thailand or no it was a case of okay that's fine not a problem but you're coming to work with me tomorrow. So it was a case of going to bed and thinking, okay, I'm either getting up and going to Claridge's tomorrow or I'm going to be a window cleaner. I'm definitely getting up and going to Claridge's. So that was it. That was the beginning of my career. So what was, so what was it like being in, the, in that kitchen then as a, as, a, as a first job? It was amazing. But, you know, also because I think I'd come from a fairly sort of uh, uh, street background, should we say. So I was, uh, I was fairly accustomed to... Uh, working it out and, and making my way through it and uh you know it was a it was a battle but and there's no way i i learned to cook or you know i didn't learn about food i didn't fall in love with food i didn't sort of walk in and just feel passionate and this is my life forever i just felt how do i get through today without getting beaten the shit out of you know it was a case of um how do i how do i get through so i managed to get through and uh, and over time, I learned that I was being taught to become a chef. 
to work in a hierarchy, to work in a shoes brigade, to respect ingredients, to work properly, to work cleanly, to work tidy, to respect people. I was basically getting a sort of a, a child, an adolescent teaching. So I was very young, you know. Fifteen. Yeah, I was fifteen. Doesn't happen anymore. And, uh, I saw you. That was May. I turned sixteen at the end of June, and then in September they said to me, "Okay, we are going to get rid of you and send you to." Uh, Bournemouth College you're going to go and live there in Bournemouth I was like wow that's a seaside fantastic mm, <laughs> Bournemouth's good uh, I think partly they were like we've had way enough of you so we need to get rid of you somehow we can't really sack you because you're a bit young you don't cost very much so we won't sack you but we'll send you down to Bournemouth to this college what little did I know this was this was about to be the sort of um, the turning point in my life and it was when uh, so it was the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts it was their apprenticeship scheme they took on 15 chefs a year from all these prestigious hotels and and they selected me to be one of them i'm pretty sure that part of that selection process was trying to get rid of me but part of it was uh, they might have seen a glimmer of talent and uh, and they packed me off suitcase in hand mum and dad signed the contract stuck me on a train down to bournemouth i went and i came back six months later how was Bournemouth then? How was kind of like... Because you're still 16 at this time, so you've yeah, worked in colleges home, yeah. and you've moved... Yeah, I then moved to Bournemouth. Lived in a and b uh, with another you know, couple of guys, sharing a room with two other guys. Went to college every day, but it wasn't like two hours of college, make an omelette and come home again. This was, this was eight hours. Um, you had to be clean-shaven if that was relevant to me at the time, but it certainly wasn't. And, <laughs> I'm, 20, uh, I'm 33 yeah. <laughs> and it's not relevant for me already, Carl, so don't worry about that. And, uh, uh, you know, super clean shoes, polished shoes ironed whites full you know full regalia it was eight hours of proper work and because someone was paying for that essentially so it was it was like a scholarship in a proper and and the training was absolutely incredible and for for all of a sudden academia learning being taught all just made perfect sense to me because the teachers were right and it was the most awakening time in my life and and i um I did really well. I passed with distinction, and, and, and it was it was a real awakening for me. Yeah. And I grew up as a boy because you imagine arriving in Bournemouth, fancy free at the age of sixteen, and uh, and leaving that at twenty. Quite a lot happens in that period in a boy's life. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, what's what's your relationship like with food at this point? You mentioned like being in France and being almost switched on to to new tastes and new foods. But are you in love with food at this point? No, I don't think so. No. When, when do you think that, I don't, that I think, happened? I think I was in love with getting stuff done, getting away with it and, and um, getting through. Uh, I think I was beginning... I, w- I was in love with the process and the discipline and the structure and the hierarchy and all this stuff. But then I could have been in, I could have been in the army, I could have been in the police force. It would have been giving me exactly the same buzz, I think. Genuinely, I, I, I don't think that I was in love with food at that point. I was just happy to be able to do the task that was in front of me um i I loved what i was cooking and i never disliked anything i loved food and and i loved eating sorry so that was nice but i don't think i was sort of in love passionately in love with food like i am now no so where did that start to develop so after i after i finished that apprenticeship clarities at the age of 20 i stayed for another year so I was 21 when I finished at Claridge's. Um, by then, I was a pretty—I was a top dog. By then, I was uh, all over it and uh, way beyond my years. And actually, I needed to get out of it because I was sort of—you know—it was just time. And uh, John Williams, the incredible John Williams, went to the Barclay Hotel to be the executive chef, and he took me with him. 
um, which was really nice. He went there, but then six months later, he got the job back at Claridge's and left me there, which was a little bit of a bit of a bit of a culture shock. Uh, I didn't like the incoming brigade. I wasn't really keen on the Barclay Hotel. It wasn't what Claridge's was for me, and I just thought, you know what, this is not quite right. The whole Marco Harvey's uh, TV program. All that was really exploding. Chefs were coming out of the kitchen. This thing was becoming... New rock and roll, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was becoming rock and roll. This is exactly that point. You know, every caterer magazine, I would buy the caterer, go and sit in, in Barclay Square and read it, and just like, you know, all these amazing chefs that were just Richard Neat and Marco and all these crazy, you know, Nico and Pierre Kaufman, and you just thought, well, hang, on, I just, hang on a minute. I need to be part of this. this. This is a gang I need to be part of. This is rock and roll. So... um the next week I got the Caterer magazine and Phil Howard was on the front of it and I read his little bio thing and it read that he'd worked at Harvey's, which was not a place you could work anymore because Marco was now at the Hyde Park or the Criterion or something. So um, he'd worked at Harvey's, so I went to the telephone box in Barclay Square and I rang the Square restaurant and asked to speak to Phil Howard. And it was still 10p then, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't even know if it was 10p. <laughs> oh, I don't even know. <laughs> Certainly wasn't the mobile phone. Uh and I got put through to the kitchen, and he said, yeah, come on Monday for a, for a trial. Uh, that was a bank holiday Monday as well, coincidentally. Oh, my word. So, I was going to um, say, you mm, have to close them now. And he wasn't there, actually, but I did. I turned up, and, the, and I'll tell you, a very, very nice little story. So I turned up. You imagine I've come out of Clarity's in the Barclays. So I turned up at the, at the Square restaurant. It was, at the time, in King Street, um, under scaffolding, because the building was about to get sold. Uh, I'd never been to the restaurant, never even heard of it, didn't know anything about that. So I walked in, uh, got ch- they told me where to get changed. I got changed, beautiful ironed apron, necktie, massive hat, beautifully ironed jacket. I looked like, you know, I, I looked the business, I have to say. But then I walked into this tiny little kitchen, which was a complete shithole, with about eight other chefs wearing tracksuit bottoms, trainers and white T-shirts, looking at me like I was some kind of, <laughs> a summit off a different planet. <laughs> the big it, hat. It was. <laughs> if you didn't have the big hat. Yeah, but I didn't know anything different. Exactly. I had absolutely yeah. no idea. And I, I just like walked that. in and I but was like... But what did you think at the time? Well, I just thought, okay. The, well, it was just, I don't know, I can't really remember. It was a completely awkward moment. Did you keep the hat on? No, I no, I, got, I went and got changed quickly, stripped, stripped down to the bare minimum and, uh, and, and, and gone on with it. But you know what they did? They just stuck me straight on the meat section and said, we've got 50 book for lunch. There's a box of pheasants. There's some chanterelles. Make a prune poached in old grey tea with chanterelles and cook the pheasants and we'll do 50 cover lunch and see how you get on. And I was sort of, oh my god! It was, you know, it was a real, white, See, a real hat, eye opener. Because you yeah. turned up in the hat. That's right. <laughs> yeah. like, I know. People are like, right, this guy, he's got the hat. He's he gone. He's, he's gonna be out of there. All the yeah. gear, or throw me under the bus. I think I yeah. don't know. So anyway, uh, I nailed it, and then they invited me back, and I got a job. And very soon later, I was wearing tracksuit bottoms, t-shirt, and killing it on the on the fish section at the square. And absolutely, that is the point at which I fell in love with food. That's amazing. So. Do- <laughs> Was it nice that feeling to be going right? I can still do this what, without that. Di- without that, no, but without that discipline, because that's a weird thing now. Because like you go to some of the most mm. amazing restaurants, and we've noticed when we came in today, your staff are pristine, mm. pristine, and mm. and just look pro, mm. really pro. But sometimes you've got places that are, everyone's just you know tattoos, yeah, arts backwards. That food's still fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does yeah as a chef? Is it your training? That's why you're like that, or, or did it was it different to you? Um, 
I think there was definitely the next, the next, uh, I'm going to say five years or so of my life, I spent in a t-shirt hat backward with that sort of rebelling against the whole, I'm never, I don't need all that stuff in my life to, to be a great cook. Um, very rebellious by nature. I'm only 22, 3, 4 then, you know, it's not, it's, I'm very it's young. Mad, and it? I was, I was absolutely career. loving it. Yeah, I'm killing it and, and enjoying my cookery more than I'd ever enjoyed it in my life. And I loved it. Um, but I think, you know, fast forward into now where we are now, this is obviously a long, long time ago. Now we run a mission star restaurant that is, high end and is celebrating everything that is classical and beautiful about solid classical cookery and I think and I think discipline in food and consistency in food comes from discipline in the team and consistency in the team and so you know it's not a big ask to ask them to come to work with clean shoes and and, and an iron jacket and, and wear the right clothes and look great and look sharp and the sharper the team look the sharper the food is and that's what we're aiming for at Trinity for sure. Well, you're big on, um, you know, kind of the whole apprenticeship scheme side of things. So instilling that, you know, at a young age is obviously very important to you. Uh, yeah, uh, because of, as I said, that, that break that I got was a huge, a huge turning point in my life. And I think that I, I really genuinely believe I have to try and give back a little bit and try and give that opportunity to someone else. And I've then gone on through the same academy course to uh, have my own apprentice send him down to Bournemouth and do the full circle because I think it's the You're right still thing to do. Still the, the Airbnb. Um, yeah, they have it much easier now. Uh, you know, as everything, you know, yeah, they only do too. they only do three and a half years now, and they stay somewhere a bit a lot nicer. They stay with families now, and um, you know, it's all a little bit different. But of course, I say that because I'm old. You know, but um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's still um, an incredible course and pushes pushes out. Uh, the best apprentice chefs in the country without a shadow of a doubt yeah do you see from doing it yourself to now and um, we're going to get on this later we'll get on it now while we're talking about it do you see the difference in kids coming through because like you were talking when you first started being a chef there wasn't this was pre-rock and roll tv chef you know now it, that's a long time ago now it's come back over and it's do you see people with more discipline less discipline do you have to instill something in them that you had then uh, I think, uh, I think the colleges, the right colleges, are still teaching that level of discipline. Uh, we've had an apprentice for the last four years, but I've hand selected that apprentice that I know would fit into that regime and would will be smart and work properly and work efficiently and and conduct himself properly. So I've hand picked those. So they are out there, but I think the majority of people just. That there's a bunch of people that see this career option as a fast track to become Jamie Oliver or you know a, a rich and famous person really quickly, uh, and then there's some that really take it seriously, but they're very few and far between, and we we I handpick them, um, and then there's a whole bunch in between that are just dreaming about the, what this industry actually is. Um, so that's what I think. I think as well, it's the um, I don't know, maybe it's the schooling as well, but as well, but I think. The idea of doing, like, I remember when I was got my first job in a kitchen in, in, like, a hotel on Lakeside in Lake Windermere, and I was, like, 14 doing, like, 12-hour shifts. Mm-hmm. And at first it was a big shock, but what that taught me at 14 in my summer holidays, my mates were all playing in the park, mm-hmm. it just different 
a completely different way of work ethic that I took into my life. And even when I went to uni and see people, you know, one one day a week type thing, wanting to do that, you were like, well, I've been doing this since I was 14. I need yeah, to, yeah. it's graft, isn't it? And I'm yeah. sure you learned that from your, from your dad and your mum, window cleaner yeah, and the chef. My man was a grafter and that, that he definitely, definitely instilled that work ethic in me. But I think, you know, I just got really used to it. I got used to working those hours. I've never, ever not worked those hours. And because of it, interestingly, because of it, I've been married for... 21 years and I'll tell you that marriage has been very successful we're brilliant together but I'll tell you mainly because I don't, I'm never at home it's perfect way to do it yeah I'm having this because if I was home every night we're in <laughs> terrible trouble you know I, I have like I have two serious friends in my life that's it and the rest are kind of peripheral friends but all of this stuff you know I have very few interests outside it's all I have very few interests very few friends and, and my family is the most important thing to me, but only because I have to limit everything else. I don't have options to or, or windows to everything because I'm just not available. I'm at, I'm in the restaurant seventy plus hours a week, and so therefore it's limited. Or what else? I can't have a season ticket at Chelsea because it's, it's not possible. I work, but you, you know, love so what you do. I That's love what I, I do. Say, yeah. yeah, I absolutely love. Still love at forty five. I still love being in the restaurant and cooking you and doing fresh, what I do. Though, for seventy five hours a week at forty five, you look fresh. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, look, no, I've seen Thanks. worse. I knew he was meeting us too, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> he hasn't got his tracky bottoms. Clean shaven, not clean shaven. No. I'm disappointed, Adam. I'm disappointed. Oh, um, yeah. I think we'll go back to food a bit more. Um, so we were talking about Square and stuff. Yeah. When you walked in there, you've got that thing, you've gone from the, the app to working, you know, just loving it. First dish that you made that made you go, a bit of a light bulb moment, made you go, hey, up, this is, I'm all right at this. <laughs> this is my thing. This is my identity, as you will. I think that it's an interesting question, but the, everything that happened at the square, that first square experience for me, that first couple of years there, was was that entire classic repertoire that I'd just done at Claridge's in a much more modern and up-to-date format, and it totally sat so comfortably with me, and I fell in love with it. So if whether it be making a red mullet soup or just making a fricassee of mushrooms or making a... Because everything was really classic at the square, but it was just in a really up-to-date, modern version of it. And so I, I did understand... The, I understood the basics and the workings of every dish that we were making, but I also understood that this was being made faster, quicker, more volume, because we had less chefs, more customers, and less time to do it. So this, was an, this is why the food was up-to-date and modern because you can't spend three days making a blanquette of veal, which would be a lovely thing to do when you're fully booked for lunch and dinner. There's only four of you. You're not doing that. You're making a blanquette of veal in the morning. You're serving it for lunch and then you're sitting down and putting your head in your hands and saying, thank goodness I got away with that. You know, that's how modern food has sort of come around. And actually, out of that comes some incredibly beautiful food, fresh, interesting, dynamic you know, such energetic food. And I just fell in love with it. So it was all those classical things of bouillabaisse and fricassees and blanquettes and, and uh, all those incredible doba beef and stuff. It was all those things. Um, but it was just done in a more, more modern way. And I, that, that's, the, that's the bit I really fell in love with, cooking like that. Um, but now I think I cook somewhere in between the two. Right, I get that. And then I guess... Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And this, it must be more... It must be the first time... Because college is quite classic menus as well, isn't it? The, the, you know, the clientele yeah, yeah, yeah. that oh, come there... super classic. They yeah. want yeah, yeah, what yeah. they had maybe last year. That's, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Soul Bon Femme and you know, Soul Veronique and Grilled David Soul. And, 
we serve other things other than salt. But yeah, yeah, you know, lobster of thermidor and you know game chips with the with the roast with the roast um, grouse and you know every, I mean everything crepe, crepe souffle, every, all those classics, amazing classic dishes, which we you know and we now do at, here at Trinity. We now do a lot of those dishes in a modern way, not quite as fast and furious as the the first square, um, but not as long and labour-intensive and laborious as the Claridge's, so in a much more up-to-date version, but just still really classic and solid. And did they give you, was it just like, all right, season, it was the first time we'd done like your seasonal menu, like, this has come in today, what can we do with this? Adam, can you do something with this, you're on meat? Was it that kind of thing, or was it all planned quite meticulously? At the square? Yeah. Oh, no, it was a bit more from the hip. Um, it was definitely coming from a, th- from a place of serious thought process. Phil was a genius at that. Um, but it was ingredients. The ingredients would just arrive that you had no idea about, and they were going to be on for lunch, but you didn't have any idea how until before. You were instructed at the square. You weren't left your devices to sort of just go and free freestyle it. You had to cook um, within a quite a, quite a sort of a regimented uh, way to achieve the style in the square. This is all at the old square, you have to remember. So there, there was quite rock and roll. It was a one-star restaurant. Things changed a lot when it moved to Bruton Street, which I moved with it. And when it achieved the second star, it became a slightly different restaurant, much more refined, much more finessed. Um, and all of those, all those incredible off-the-hip stuff became more harnessed and more brought together. But, yeah. So where, when did you first start getting into food writing? Um, well, you know, interestingly, I left school with absolutely no exams and... and and I couldn't, I could barely read or write. I'm pretty, um, uh, I'm pretty sort of rubbish now, but I, I do love the medium of writing f- about food. I love it and I really enjoy it. I can, I can, it's like an escapism almost. I can sit there and write about food all day long because, and actually, as it turns out, I'm quite articulate about food and I quite, and I enjoy it and I, I like it and other people like to read it. So I ended up doing a cookbook, writing lots of blogs and lots of things, articles and magazines. And I had a column in different magazines and stuff locally, which is a nice way to get your message across. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I don't write so much food anymore, but when I do, I really enjoy it. So I did really you almost it. surprise yourself with how that came about? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I, yeah. when I Scary as well. Yeah, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when my first cookbook was published, I, I took a the first number one copy I, I said thanks thanks for a fuck all and sent it to my school <laughs> <laughs> oh did you get a reply that's good I don't know if I can swear on this podcast oh Sorry, you can do whatever yeah. you like mate okay. well that's what I did um, yeah but anyway that's my uh, that was my thing and also when you get the call to get into TV stuff that must have been a bit a bit weird yeah TV is an interesting one you know as a chef because that you know of course you have to remember that Let's go back to when that whole chef became rock and roll, Marco, everyone's around. It's all kind of moving out into the into the world again. Chefs coming out of the kitchen. So I was sort of slightly interested in it and, and, and uh, taken in by that. So when, when you're running your restaurant, all of a sudden the door knocks on the door and says, OK, do you want to be on Saturday Kitchen? Do you want to do Great Bitch Menu? Do you want to do this Market Kitchen? Do you want to do this? And, I was like, yeah, of course. I, you know, why not? You know, say yes, yeah, yeah, why not? Right? I don't think the motivation was ever about money or to be famous or to. It's just about ticking a box. It's you like work your ass off since you were fifteen, and then when you get an opportunity, it's one yeah, of those I think things. It, it's like I don't think it was strategic or anything. I think it's just, it just like happened, yeah, actually. that sounds like great fun. Why not? That's different. So it's we, like we like, back on the tube. Do you want to go to 
should we go and play a round of golf in this golf course I've never been to? Yeah, why not? It's just something different, right? Yeah, and you spent the last 20 years on the stove, right? Busting your balls, looking at nothing but white tiles and pigeon guts, you know, for the last 20 years. Someone says, do you want to come and, you know, hang around in, in the, the studio? Room, yeah. <laughs> drink, some, drink some free shit and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. and cook a bit on telly. Yeah, damn right I do, yeah. So... You know, I did that, and I ended up doing about fifteen or sixteen of the of the Saturday kitchens because it's literally two minutes from Trinity. That's why the studio is two minutes from Trinity. So uh, I often get a call on a Saturday and say, "We run out of baby leaks. Can you help me?" Or actually, this you know, the chef is hung over to shit and can't get there. Can you come and do it? Stand in. I've done that once, and um, and so I ended up doing it. And the owner of Saturday Kitchen is a very regular customer of mine good friend and lives very locally in Clapham so I've done it quite a few times that led to a cookbook I then did Market Kitchen I ended up doing Great British Menu done loads of stuff really but I, but I don't I, I'm not mad about it um, would I take it would I take a huge TV show if it was a, not really to be honest with you I like to be known for being a chef that's in my restaurant cooking food for my customers and that's not just me being a bit of a hero that's actually I think it's important because actually um, people pay a lot of money to come to Trinity. And and going back with the bank statement thing, it, mm. we've had many chefs on and said, like, you know, big, very important to them to be in the kitchen because mm. some people, when they get to a certain level, mm. seem not to be in the kitchen as much. Yeah. And it means a lot. Like, for me, if I was coming, I'd be taking my mum and dad, mm. say, to your... And, about, and it, I mm. want to see you there because mm. I want to make my mum, like, look, you know... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and I do really respect that. Although we are open 14 services a week, we never shut. And that's a slightly difficult thing. So there is an expect. That's why I never called the restaurant Adam Byer because a that's just a dickhead thing to do. But b it makes that huge expectation that you're always going to be there. And we're open 14 services. We never close. And I obviously don't work 14 services. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. But um, you know, and, the, and actually, the skill in running uh, the art of a restaurateur is to is to have the restaurant running as well when you're not here as when you are. And that, and that the restaurant now operates on this sort of beautiful plane where I can now jump in, jump out, jump in, jump out, have a really nice impact on it, but it doesn't completely rely on me getting out of bed at 7 o'clock every morning and getting in my ass into work in half an hour. You know? So it does operate without me, but I can add impact to it when I'm here, which is a nice place to be. How long did that take to get to that level? And About point? last week, I think. <laughs> it, took, um, it took way too long, but... You know what? I didn't go to business school. I didn't it's get difficult. taught. I didn't get taught about man management. I didn't get taught about running a business. Nobody taught me anything apart from how to peel potatoes quickly and you know how to fillet fish. I'm pretty good at that. You know, you just make a lot of mistakes and you get it wrong and then you get it right and you and you, and eventually you 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 start to find a way and you get older. I think it's a lot easier now that I'm older and I've got a bit more wisdom in me and I sort of have, have made a lot of mistakes and I don't tend to make them twice. So, just going back slightly to the to the TV stuff, would you say that's you feel a little bit out of your comfort zone, or do you th- find that quite thrilling? No, I quite enjoy it. I don't I don't mind doing it. I actually really like doing it. It doesn't stress me one little bit. I'm really comfortable talking and cooking because I'm so comfortable. I've cooked so much food in my life for so many years and hours, and actually cooking for me is like putting a pair of socks on. I don't even need to think about it. And that, and you can tell the cooks that are cooks that are on television because they can actually just cook without even thinking about it and talk and look at camera and chat and think, you know, what's going on and what I'm doing next. And it's not, I don't find it difficult at all. I quite enjoy doing it. Um, so when you're but I like live the, TV. I prefer yeah, live yeah, TV well, because... I watched you butcher a pheasant and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, that guy can butcher a pheasant yeah. so fast. And I was, it was when you, it was when you were doing the sinewed on the leg yeah, and I was yeah, just yeah. like, 
I'm nervous. I'm nervous because I watch. I was like, I couldn't imagine the pressure on you yeah, doing yeah. that. And I, and, you know, I can't watch a pheasant like nowhere near. You know what I mean? But I was thinking mm-hmm. that, that would have been a... quite a while. I'd have been young and handsome at that point. That was a long time ago. That one. Um, but yeah, I made a pheasant Kiev when I yeah, opened my gorgeous. bistro. So that would beautiful. have been six years ago when I opened Bistro Union. Yeah, pheasant Kiev for Saturday Kitchen. Um, but I, I don't mind it. I don't mind cooking on television at all. It's fine. Um, I didn't like the Great British menu experience. I thought that was really contrived. Um, to- you, you, totally you, carcass. You were on it. You were yeah. ju- you've been a judge as well, right? No, I was not a judge on it. No, I just competed in it. But one thing I did really like about that was that you cook all of your own food. And, and actually, what, what the industry know this, but actually at chef, people outside don't realise this, but as the, if you like, the head chef in your own restaurant, you are not cooking every single component on that dish. You're, you've got six sections in a restaurant. They're all cooking one component for the dish. They all bring them together. You put them all on the plate. You taste everything. You send the plate. So you're not standing there all day making every single component for every single plate. That just doesn't happen. It's yeah, not possible. possible. Yeah. So when you do a show like Great British Menu, you stand there and you make every single component for every single dish. And that was a bit of a revelation for me because I, I never cooked at home at that point either. So I never really cooked many plates of food from start to finish and served it. And actually I realised that my food tasted probably better like that than it did in the restaurant because obviously I was cooking everything. It's quite a weird revelation. So I really enjoyed that part of it. But other than that, the show's a crock of shit. <laughs> right, there you go. Did you send them a book as well? Uh, no, never responded. <laughs> exclusive, exclusive. So um, I was going to ask you about your, your inspiration that you get to put into the food that you cook now. Um, and you, you've kind of already touched on a lot of that coming from the, the local area, which is a really nice kind of story. Um, but yeah, what, what, what goes into you creating new dishes for the menus? Um, the old adage, you know, the seasons are the dictator, really. They, they do most of the work, the season, so I'm sort of I'm on this continual train that never stops where the food changes, and as the food changes, I have to bring in, you know, we've got to get asparagus dishes ready for the next three weeks when asparagus starts now, and we're working with rhubarb and blood oranges now, then we'll start working with, you know, crab and sardines. You know, that's, and that, that seasonal calendar throughout the year dictates what happens. So that's the, that's the first thing. And then we, we have a very solid repertoire at Trinity of, of what we do with the food, um, how we do it. We've, I've almost, because <clears throat> I think it's difficult to explain, but when you're a chef, when you're young and you're pretty gung-ho and it's all off the hip, you basically, if you look at the world's larder and you've got access to all of that and you start to create food, it's like a minefield. You could, like, you could, you could cook anything from anywhere at any point if you wanted to and as a young chef you do want to because you're young and you just want to do but now I've, I've really refined it back the, the most most amazing thing for me is knowing exactly where we are with food so for us there, I discount 80% of what is in the world and I only really work with 20% that's there in my little my little repertoire I'm very comfortable with my repertoire if a chicken arrives at Trinity only two or three things are going to happen to it and I'm very happy with that thank you very much I don't need to go out buy cookbooks go to other restaurants to understand another method of doing something with a chicken or finding another way to do that it's never going to happen that's my road of food. That's my repertoire. That's what's going to happen to it. And I'm very comfortable. Thank you very much. Let's just, let's just focus on making that better and better and better and better and better by just improving all the processes and sourcing a better chicken and a better chicken and a better chicken. So that actually having reached that place was 
an enormous weight off my back. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's absolutely. Quite, yeah. It makes, it's really, yeah, it's really inspiring as well because <clears throat> it does happen when you're younger. You do want to conquer yeah. everything, don't yeah. you? And I think the older you get, I think, I don't know, you just think, you cook for the customers a bit more <clears throat> as well, don't you? you know, yeah, of course, I think yeah. You, yeah. Especially around here, community's been mentioned so much. Yeah. You must have so many, you must know so many people. You mm. must know, you know, regulars coming mm. in and like you said, spending the money and having their anniversary. It's like, I mentioned last night that I was interviewing you today to a friend whose parents are from around here and they said, oh, whenever some, we have our treat in the family, mm-hmm. we go to Trinity. And I was like, well, I'll tell him that because it's a nice thing. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's lovely. anniversary it's or lovely. whatever. And they've been living here around here all their lives. So you probably know them. <laughs> Do you know what we I mean? have so, a system called Open Table, which runs our reservation system. So it shows how many times people have booked here. And we have 25 customers that have dined over 100 times at Trinity. Can you imagine dining? I haven't dined anywhere. I haven't dined at home 100 times, let alone in. That's mad. I mean, what an absolute honour and a privilege that is to have people that have dined over 100 times in your restaurant. <laughs> And, you know, I know these people, I've seen, what's interesting, being here 12 years, <clears throat> is that I've seen couples come here on their first date mm. before, before Tinder. <laughs> Pre-Tinder. Then I've seen them come here before they get married. Then I've seen them come here with their baby. And now I see them come here with their teenage child. I've seen the whole life journey. It's been amazing. I know, right? Um, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's a really lovely thing in a restaurant like this. And there, I... I don't remember a night where I don't know four, five, six tables in the restaurant really well, well enough to go and say hi and sit down with them, and, and that's lovely. I think that's that's one of the things that drew me to do to do what I do in a neighbourhood environment rather than the West End because the West End is very fickle, very transient, and um, and it's a different it's a different ball game. You cook for different reasons. I like cooking for people that like my food, and I love the whole experience of sharing food and the romanticism of it. Maybe a bit too much, but. That's why I do it. It's testament to the success of having a restaurant. Sounds quite rare these days to have a restaurant for that long. I know, right? That's, Twelve years. It's been long doing well and restaurant. consistently mm-hmm. performing. And and it's yeah. I mean, we we now have, and we've had growth for twelve years. Not massive. We're not. I'm not talking like fifty percent growth. We've had tiny incremental growth for twelve years, and we now probably turn over three times what we did on year one. So um, we're we're in a you know solid, robust place with three sites. Nice tight team. I still work in the business all the time. You know, we make a good return for for ourselves, and, and we do well. So, so, so what's next? Because it sounds like you're very much um, in the now, and you're all about improving and doing better, and doing doing better, and doing better. Do you have a vision? Well, just just to recap on the last point, though, the most the most bit I'm proud of is that I think I feel certainly that Trinity is still a relatively up to date restaurant that's on the dining scene in London. And to achieve that after 12 years is, is massive because restaurants just come and go all the time. But to still be relevant and up-to-date and, and on the money after 12 years is, is, uh, has been a lot of hard work. <laughs> um, but what happens now? What vision? I don't know. You know what? I'm, really, I'm in a really nice place because I'm, we're really comfortable with where we are. We're happy with what we've got. Um, we've got virtually no debt. No overheads, no nothing. We are just in a really good place. We've worked hard to get where we are now. So now I don't have to do anything. I could just happily sit here now and just don't do anything stupid and keep this going for another 10 years and we'll have a 20-year-old restaurant. But, you know, if the right opportunity comes along, it means I can be selective and I can take the right opportunity. I no longer have to take a really dodgy site in a dodgy location and try and make it fantastic. I no longer have to leverage myself and leverage my house to try and, you know 
forward my way forward. I've got more choices now. And if, but if the right opportunity comes along, absolutely, I'm going to take it. Because I think I have, I have like just the most amazing team that have been with me. There's 140 years in the business now of work. So there's, that's an awful lot of people with an awful lot of experience in cooking what I do and thinking like me. And they've also and, got their um, own ambitions. They've got their own ambitions. So I need to service those ambitions, but they are not, that is not my priority. A lot, for a lot of chefs, that is a priority, you know, servicing other people's ambitions. It's not my priority. I never relied on anybody else to service my ambition. I went out and forged my own way forward, and I think everyone else will do that. It doesn't mean I won't help them, advise them, or give them a leg up if I feel they're brilliant. But their, but their career... That's not my responsibility, and, I, and I, will, I will do what I can. But if the great opportunity comes along and I have great people, hey, we'll put them together. Why not, right? Yeah, makes sense. So are there any restaurants um, of all sorts of different shapes and sizes that you're raving about right now? You probably don't have the, the time right, to go out and... <laughs> um, you know, what London is just incredible right now, right? I mean, I don't know, there's not another city in the world that is as diverse. Partly because we've not got, we have, to, because we don't have a food culture. You know, if you went to somewhere that has a really distinctive food culture, you can't go to Hong Kong and eat the best Indian in the world, the best English, the best American. You can eat the best, some of the best food from every culture of food in one city. That's just remarkable. Um, so London's in, in, in an absolute boiling point purple patch of its life and uh, that's great um where have i been recently it's great i went to sabor uh which i just thought was in fact i've been three times because like I loads of people it. have said some, loads of people have said some. i just loved it i love the food there i love it. it's it's uh, it, the, the service is at absolutely the right level for me to just go in a t-shirt sit in the corner drink drink two beers chill out and just eat really banging food i thought it was fantastic um where else have I been recently? Uh, I went to the Ledbury uh, not so long ago. I still think it's the best restaurant in London. Um, there's nothing more which has its own definitive road of food and is as refined and thought through as Brett's cooking there. I think it's absolutely outstanding. Um, it's the benchmark, I think, for me. Um, I went to Bibendum. I thought that was excellent. As well, I mean, these are pretty high-end restaurants. We're talking about. What's your kind of um, just like day off with a business? I went to relax. I went to Kim's actually, that was which is A Wong's other restaurant. I went there recently. That was absolutely lovely. I liked that before I jumped on a train to go and cook with Angela and Claire Smythe. That was an experience in Barrow. Uh, in Barrow, that's where Indeed. I'm from. Are you? I'm from Ulverston. I was invited to go out on the town in Barrow, which I didn't. Mate, it's the armpit of Britain. Mm, I heard that. <laughs> it's, um, it, when I was going up there, um, mm. they used to have, which I don't know where you cooked at. Where did you cook? Abbey House. Right, Abbey House. So that was that, that's, the, that's the nice bit they showed you. I don't know if you went into the town. But no, I taxed it in, taxed it out. Yeah. yeah, they used to have a really big line of clubs owned by one guy, very gangster. It was called the Gaza Strip, everyone used to call it. It was that bad. It was Amazing. terrifying, and it was Circus Circus. There was one place. It had a revolving dance floor that broke right so it was just like it was like Tarvel and Dean going for a dance yeah and you just see people going Yew! falling over slicing their out it was awful but um, I did see you cooked in bar I was going to ask you about that but um, yeah no, I can't great. believe you got you three in, if I'd have seen oh, no, you three no. in Circus Circus no. on the revolving floor, <laughs> that would have been the weirdest <laughs> night of my life you might have done what have I had? What yeah. have I had? <laughs> <What's> <laughs> what have I had? <laughs> what have I taken? Uh, the night before, Brett Graham and Phil Howard cooked. So, you know, that was, that's an impressive lineup for Lake District Farm, who are just the best supplier ever. Superb. And, um, yeah, and, uh, and what, they, what they do 
for charity there is the reason we all go up and do it because it's outstanding. It's a real, it's a real serious thing. Um, I love it to be involved in you. Yeah. I've noticed a lot of places I've eaten. Like I took my mum and dad for my mum for his birthday, and like I went to um, Treadwells and they're using the Lake District beef as well. And I was just like, I need, whereabouts in the lakes is it from? Do you know? Well, all across the lake, they buy all across the lake district from certain farmers, and then they age. They select carefully, they age, they butcher, and then they sell to us posh places in London. Yeah. So I, I learned to make sausages back in Cumbria when I was mm-hmm. growing up, and that's when I came down here. But um, I used to be in the abattoirs there, and then I, I went to Long Clume with a huge mm-hmm. pig. And I, I was thinking, this is my moment, I can get in there, bang, pig taken off me, door closed in my face, I was like, gutted. <laughs> I was like, come on, Rogan, give us a, give us a two, a lad. It was a, get, Give us a selfie. There's, yeah, there's me with a huge, huge swine on my shoulder, and he's having none of it. No. But anyway, no. um, should we have a little quick yeah, fire? Because I'm sure he's a busy man. So, yeah, here's what it is. We're going to ask you a uh, short, short series of questions. No and worries. Just whatever comes in your mind. Okay. Go on, you start. Top three you foods you can't live without? Uh, salt, olive oil, anchovies. Nice. Um, food, guilty pleasure. Um... Ketchup. <laughs> simple, simple. Biggest kitchen disaster. This could be um, a long one. I'm worried. Uh, there's been a few. I did. I did tip a whole pan of boiling veal bones and all of its fat all the way down my arm and oh. hand, and took the skin off of the whole lower arm and hand. That's the most graphic answer we've had. So thanks. It was for that. absolutely gross, and it's. I never go near veal bones again. That was five years ago. I've never recovered. Wow. Um, top three bits of kit you can't live without in the kitchen? Uh, uh, kit. I think that the... Uh, uh, you know what? I'm a real simple purist. I like my... Uh, <laughs> we have Apex chopping boards that are beautiful. Those beautiful chopping boards that... Do you know what I mean by Apex yeah, yeah, yeah. chopping board? And I can't... I, if I go and do a gig anywhere else, I take my own chopping boards. I can't... I can't like your Marshall amp. Yeah. I can't use those horrible, colourful plastic things. So I can't stand them. My knives are very precious to me. I love a mandolin. Um, and I like my ice cream machine, which is a sort of soft serve ice cream machine. Uh, and Rationale have been a pretty big part of my life. Um, if you had to eat the same meal every day, what would it be? Prawn cocktail. What? Bit of, bit of buttered brown with all no right. crust, all of right. course, of course, Essex boy. Right, it's so the last one. Um, if you could cook your favourite meal for one person, who would it be? James Dean. James Dean, not James Dean. <laughs> what would it be? Um, well, it, well, because it's James Dean's one of my closest friends. He's a food writer, and he wrote um, Marcos Devlin in the Kitchen. He wrote Keith Floyd's books. He wrote. Mark, uh, Raymond Blanc's book lives very close to me we're very close friends and um, I love cooking for that man more than I do for most other people in the world and um, I don't know what it would be it would probably be something long slow braised a nice sort of lamb hot pot something very honest and pure and simple something we could drink great wine over I've lunched and enjoyed meals with that man more than most others so yeah. What a lovely story. Great answer. Um, thank you so much for today and giving us the opportunity. And um, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening, yes, chef listeners. Adam Byer, what a guy. 
he was wicked, wasn't he? He was really nice. Just kind of a real nice insight into um, the start, the start of a of a career at fifteen. He's he's had a bit of a mad one for someone who wasn't kind of pushed into that whole world, and he's just kind of he's forced himself to become such an amazing chef. I think the the, the stories about kind of the rock and rollness back in the day. I think I love the fact that he went and used the phone box to call the square. I think that's a new thing. I think all chefs at fifteen should be on the phone. Getting is a phone box still exist? Hey, you heard it here first. Get in the phone box. Hey, I couldn't believe he had his tracksuit bottoms on. I know. I, I reckon we do the next one. We do Adam Bayet Returns. We just turn up in big hats. Listeners, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, tell us what you think, and I will see you next time. Nice one. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.